Welcome to the Content Strategy Experts Podcast, brought to you by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. In this episode, we'll talk with Bob Johnson of Tazu about authoring for accessibility in DITA. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Patterson. Bob, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I think before we dive into our podcast, if you just want to give a brief intro, a little bit about who you are, that would be great. Sure. Um, currently, I am Senior Content Strategist at Tazu. Uh, we are a company that specializes in customer experience, user experience, and uh, using structured content to facilitate that. I have been a technical uh, writer for almost 25 years now. I've been working with structured content and component content uh, since 2000. I've been working with DITA since about 2006, and I've been working with accessibility since around 2008. Uh, I did some work for Oracle on implementing accessibility in one of the acquisitions about 10 years ago and uh, began digging into accessibility in DITA. And I've presented at a number of conferences and other venues on the subject of uh, implementing accessibility in DITA and why you should implement accessible content. Well, great. Well, we are really looking forward to hearing some of your perspectives today. And we've really broken this podcast out into some different sections, but to kind of get things going, how can your designs, so PDF, print books, web UIs, etc., how can those be made more accessible? Yeah, that's a good question. The, the foundation for whatever your deliverable format is is the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, or WCAG, which is promulgated by the Web Accessibility Initiative of the World Wide Web Consortium. And WCAG outlines what you need to do to make your content accessible. The current version is version 2.0, 2.1, and 2.2, which are cumulative, so 2.0. One builds on 2.0 and 2.2 builds on 2.0 and 2.1. The later versions don't supersede. They simply add more information. The foundation for the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines is a set of four principles using the acronym POUR, P-O-U-R. Content has to be perceivable. You have to be able to get it from the screen into the user's head. It has to be operable. The user has to be able to jump around, enter data, actually use whatever content is online. It has to be understandable. The user, once it is in their head, has to be able to decipher it and make sense of it. And then the content must be robust. So if there's a failure, there's a fallback so that the accessible content is still perceivable, operable, understandable to the user. And this is actually not just a backwards compatibility requirement. It's a forward compatibility requirement. So content has to be compatible with future technologies, not just with current technologies. Right. That makes sense. So I think I want to dive into talking a little bit about structuring data content for accessibility. Mm -hmm. 
So how does the modular nature of data content help make it more accessible? Well, as, as we all know, data is a very structured format and accessibility tools or user assistance tools really rely on that structure. So a screen reader, for example, reads the what's called the document object model, which represents the structure of the document. And it uses that to navigate or to help the user navigate through the content. So by its very nature, data being strongly structured facilitates more accessible content. And are there, what are some challenges for accessibility when it comes to links? How can you optimize your approach for linking and managing related content for accessibility? Yeah, links, links can be troublesome in a couple of ways. One of the more fundamental ways is when the link text is either not very meaningful mm -hmm. or it's repetitive. So I'm sure we've all seen websites that say something like, click here for this and the click here is the, the hot text. Screen readers, for example, have the ability to navigate from link to link. And if you're just going from click here to click here to click here, that's not very meaningful. The user doesn't know where's that link going to go. So you want to be sure that your link text is meaningful. So you want right. to know either the title of the resource you're going to link to, or you want a meaningful text that communicates to the reader where they're going to go so they understand if they activate the link where they're going to go. The other challenge that links create is if they're in line. Now, I'm sure we all have seen a lot of pages with inline links, and it seems very mm -hmm. natural. I mean, we've seen inline links from the very beginning of the World Wide Web, but inline links can be very disruptive for users on screen readers. When the screen reader encounters the link, it stops and announces, you know, here's a link, and then reads out the link and then the target for the link. Right. Uh, for a user with a cognitive disability, like ADD or executive function, they, those inline links can be very distracting. So when someone, you know, encounters a link and clicks on it, you know, they may lose where they are. And it can be very easy in a browser to lose your way back to where you started. Right. So it's a good practice to pull your links out of the running text so they're no longer in line and organize them in groups, usually mm -hmm. after the text, so that the user's reading flow or narrative flow is not interrupted and then they can go directly to the links. And, and this is something I'm challenged on frequently because inline links just seem very, very natural. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to admit, it took me a while to come around because it seemed natural to me. And what really changed my mind more than working with other accessibility experts was my own children with uh, their own cognitive disabilities 
encountering problems caused by inline links. And that was the point where it became very real to me. And so I, I, I do have a, an understanding of why it seems unnatural, yeah. but I also have an understanding of why you want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I know in addition to links that tables can also be difficult for accessibility sometimes. Is there a way you can structure your tables to make, make them easier to navigate? So two things. One, you want to keep your structures standard and you want to keep your structures regular and consistent. And what do I mean by that? You really don't want to merge cells in your table because it makes navigation inconsistent. Mm -hmm. When you're navigating through the table and if you're on a screen reader, for example, or if you're a user with a motor disability and you need to use the uh, keyboard to navigate rather than the mouse, when you tab into a merged cell, the browser really doesn't remember where it came from. Mm -hmm. And so when you tab out of that cell, you can lose context. What typically happens is the browser defaults to the first row or column in that merged cell. Okay. And then tag you when you tab out, you go there, which you continue on in that first column or first, uh, first row, which may not be where you came from. You also want to be careful because table designs that look meaningful may be difficult to build a mental model. Mm-hmm. It's important for people on screen readers particularly to remember that they're not viewing the table. They're building a mental model of that table. Right. And you need a very well-structured, regularly structured, consistently structured table to help them build that mental model. Okay. Okay, that's that's great information. Um, so in, in addition to kind of going off of the tables, I want to talk a little bit about objects and resources that you include in Dita content mm-hmm. and how to make that accessible. So for example, what is needed to make images accessible? Are there any particular challenges around images with text, like callouts? Well, let, let's start with images in general, because, okay. you know, one of the first things people think about when they start thinking about accessibility is, oh, we need to add alt text to our images. And and that's, that's very accurate, in fact. Um, but alt text needs to be meaningful. So it's not useful to, for example, repeat the file name as your alt text. You want to have alt text that explains what it is that the image is depicting. So this is a screenshot of the default uh, Wiffle Jangle dialogue with the uh, standard configuration Mm -hmm. so that users on a a screen reader or other low vision users understand what the image actually is. If you have a complex image, it is uh, acceptable for the alt text to say, the image is described in more detail in the running text and to indicate if it's running text before or after the image. When it comes to callouts, we have to remember that low vision users 
probably are not able to perceive the details within the image. So callouts, you probably want to use a table to index to the callout IDs, but even those in the image are probably not accept, uh, accessible to a low vision user. So you want to be sure that your alt text clarifies that you have a table that is indexing the callout text to the mm -hmm. index numbers in the image. And what about like audio and video? So under the 21st Century Video Accessibility Act, uh, organizations over a certain size, and it's 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 a surprisingly small size, it's 50 employees, okay. are required to provide transcriptions or closed captioning mm -hmm. for uh, streaming audio and video. What you can do to leverage that uh, using your data content is to build that transcript from the data content, customizing a map that actually is attached to your streaming audio or streaming video that describes what is being said in the audio. So I want to take a minute to talk about localization considerations. Are there any interactions or connections between accessibility and localized content? There are, particularly tying into that principle of being understandable. You want to be sure that the language of your text is called out so that uh, if you've got a user on a screen reader, for example, it's read out in the correct language. So, for example, you if you have the string C-H-A-T, mm -hmm. you, you want to specify that my language is U.S. English, so the screen reader pronounces it as chat as in a small conversation like we're having right now okay as opposed to if it's in french it pronounces it in french as the uh word for a small feline uh so making sure that your language is specified in your content and if you have strings not just that you don't just specify at the topic level but if you have strings within the content that are in a different language. Mm -hmm. You want to be sure that that language is specified as well. So the screen reader can read that and call out the content correctly. Great. Well, I think uh, this has been very useful and I think that that is a great place to wrap up. So thank you so much for joining us, Bob. Thank you for having me. Glad to help. And thank you for listening to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. For more information, visit scriptorium.com or check the show notes for relevant links.